Let's open with a word of prayer. We'll talk to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so awesome. Thank you that you gave it to us uh, for all eternity. Never changes, uh, and there's not a mistake in it. We're thankful for that. Lord, help us as we look, just uh, think about um, the truth of your word as we think a little bit about the book of Daniel as you revealed it to him. That will be, uh, that you'll give us confidence and strength as we rely on it, as we believe it, and as we uh, get courage from it to live in this world. So help us, Lord, through our study tonight. Uh, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're uh, talking about a study in Daniel. Uh, you can look at this title slide. We'll be seeing it uh, quite a bit as we go along. Talking about uh, the subtitle, which will also stay all the way along, is God is Sovereign Over All Nations. It's, that'll be a permanent subtitle that goes along with the, the study of the book. The world might think that, and especially as you look at Daniel, you look at the, the historical things going on at that time, that because Israel had been defeated, Israel had been set aside, they'd been uh, taken captive, uh, pulled into Babylon in kind of three separate waves, that maybe the God of Israel had been defeated. It's like, huh. Okay, well, you know, so they were in power, but, but now they aren't. They're, they're uh, suffering, and we have control on it. There's other times in the Old Testament where uh, emissaries from other countries had said, hey, is your God weak? Uh, you know, who's going to save you from us? Not your God. And so you might be able to draw a false conclusion from that that's, that looks like, well, now that Israel is captive in Babylon, that, that God is not in control. But we're gonna, as we look through the book of Daniel, which is just an awesome book, we'll discover that uh, just the opposite is true. God was showing through Daniel that he is in control still of Gentile nations, the Jews, everyone. He's the creator God. He's powerful. He's over all things. So that is one of the things that we'll be able to see as we look through this uh, awesome book. We're going to go back, I guess, a little bit too. And uh, in some ways, I, I'm uh, almost a little chagrined maybe that I've attached this acronym to, to the method. But uh, I've gotten so attached to it now that I guess I can't abandon it, sorry. But uh, it covers the bases. I mean, and if you, it didn't come about because I wanted to use that as you know, some sort of a humorous thing. Those are the elements of good biblical interpretation. And as Mark mentioned this morning in the sermon, when you look at Scripture, you get the benefit out of it, you get the power out of it as you use this good uh, interpretive method. And so uh, I'm going to keep it because it helps me to remember the aspects of good interpretation. So we look at literal, grammatical, biblical, historical, and contextual. So... If you study books on hermeneutics, you're going to come up with those, maybe in a different order. So anyway, you're stuck with it. We're going to, we're going to keep using it. Maybe it'll help you remember it. It's catchy. It's catchy. You, you, you've heard it, a, a variation of that. So that's what we're going to use as we go through that. And of course, coupled up with the Holy Spirit teaching believers. So not everyone can understand Scripture just because they've read it or studied it even that a person has to be born again. They have to have the Spirit of God in them 
to, to help teach them what the scriptures say. Here's the verses. It says, The natural man, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand, understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So you've heard that a lot of times, but we want to we want to uh, go back and reinforce that to know that we study the scriptures because they're true, but you can't understand them unless God is teaching you from inside. So that's what we're going for as we go along in our study tonight. So that's that's the one acronym I just wanted to review to know that that's that's our biblical uh, and interpretive method that we'll use as we study Daniel. We'll look at it literally, and if, unless there's some compelling reason. To, to interpret it otherwise, we'll take it literally to mean what it says. And that's, that's the way God intended it. He's a, he's a communicator. He communicates by words. He created language in us. And so when he gave us the scriptures, he gave it for us to understand, not to hide. And so that's what we'll use as that method. And then I'm going to bring in one more. And this is, this is dating me also, but, uh, you know, Back in the day, something, when it was cool, it was hip. You know, this is hip, man. So hip is the other acronym here, talking about Daniel. And this will, this will be applied all the way through to, is that, and no, this is the points I just want to hit tonight as we talk about going through the book of Daniel, that Daniel is historical, it's inerrant, and it's prophetic nature uh, of the revelation from God. That's what it is. And so we'll, we'll just touch on those three things tonight as kind of an introduction. We're not really going to be into the text of Daniel tonight, but just trying to set a foundation for how we'll interpret it to start with and what we perceive it to be through the Holy Spirit's teaching to us these three things. <clears throat> so we're, t- we're talking about uh, historical first. So first of all, Daniel is corroborated in three other portions of Scripture they're there. First of all, uh, in the biblical text. So we're talking about the historicity of Daniel, that there was critics that, that wanted to say that, you know, Daniel was false, that it was a, a fake. And God, or, or Satan, uh, always wants to take the truth of God, and especially some of the ver- most very important aspects of his teaching, and try and discredit those in any way that he can. So the, these critics of Daniel especially uh, came along uh, not until about the 17th century. So that's the 1600s. Uh, Daniel had been accepted as at face value all the way along until these ones that, that didn't believe in anything supernatural to start with would look at Daniel and say, well, look at all this supernatural stuff in here. That, that can't be true, so Daniel can't be true. We can't accept it at face value. So they tried to turn away from it. But So we, first of all, we just want to look at the, the historical part of Daniel and other portions of Scripture. So we, I have three here. Ezekiel 14, 20, or 12 through 20 is one passage. We're not going to look at all those verses. We'll look at verses 13 and 14 there. <clears throat> that says, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it, and break its supply of bread, and send famine upon it, and cut it cut off from it 
man and beast. And that, that verse itself is a little scary when you think about contemporary society and about our country. God can do whatever he wants to, and if he feels like judgment is necessary, these are some of the things that he can do. Break its supply of bread, send famine, uh, cut off from it man and beast. So that, that was a little ominous just in the passage, but verse 14 says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. So he ascribes power to Daniel, righteousness to Daniel, as, a, as one of the three uh, most valued, maybe you might say, uh, or prominent uh, prophets that, uh, that God talked about in this scripture. This is God speaking. Even if these three were to pray for this country, it wouldn't help. So that, again, is also a little bit ominous. When God plans on judgment, it's pretty much going to happen. But, but the fact is, he named the prophet Ezekiel, God through the prophet Ezekiel named Daniel as a historical character. So that was one instance. And then a little further on in Ezekiel, same prophet, uh, 28, 2 and 3, uh, this passage says, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel, no secret is hidden from you. And so it goes on to say, and this is a, a prophecy against the prince of Tyre, I, haven't, I didn't look far enough into that to see whether maybe this was talking about someone other than the actual prince of Tyre or if he was applying that to some other spiritual character. But in any event, he brought in the name of Daniel as a wise man. And so there's, those are two instances right there of the use of Daniel in, the, in other scriptures to kind of corroborate the, the authenticity of Daniel. And then the last one, and maybe the most important, is Matthew twenty four fifteen, where Jesus himself refers to Daniel as a prophet. And I'll read a few of these verses here because these are these are going to apply later in the book of Daniel as we look just a little further tonight into the the prophecy side of the book of Daniel. We'll see that this Matthew twenty four chapter and twenty five are just crucial to understanding the future and what God has planned for the world. And so Jesus talks about this. This was Matthew 24 and 5 was Jesus' longest answer to any question that he was ever asked. And thanks to God that he did that. It gives us so much truth about the future in that book and from Jesus' own lips. But Matthew, I'll just read um, 8 through 16 kind of to get a setting, because partly as we look further on and we talk about the prophetic side, we'll see that Jesus here was talking about the future. He was, he was talking about eschatology and future events in Matthew 24, and then he ties it together with the prophet Daniel, and we'll, we'll see the implications of that. But anyway, 24.8 says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. And he's talked about wars, rumors of wars, uh, events in the heavens, a lot of different things leading up to this, catastrophic things that are causing men to, to lose heart. 
But so these things are just the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, Jesus says. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So it's going to take a true heart of a true disciple to stay true to Christ in those days. Many will fall away. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Mark alluded to some of those starting from the very beginning. It's been from then and will continue clear to the end and get worse as the, as the end approaches. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so then in the next verse, we get tied together with this prophetic and future-telling part of Jesus' words. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about Matthew 24 and what it's talking about. But in our instance tonight, all I'm trying to show is that Jesus Christ himself tied Daniel to end time prophecy. He's corroborated, he affirmed Daniel as a prophet of God. He affirmed that Daniel's very words about what he said in the book of Daniel were truth according to what Jesus said that's going to happen in the future. When we talk back about those critics and, you know, how much, how much research are we going to do to try and dig out all the, the details of, well, you know, was Daniel real? And, and how did that all, how do, we, how do we corroborate all of what Daniel lived and said? And we can do away with all of that because Jesus said Daniel is true and trustworthy and authoritative. That's enough for me. So we either ditch the whole thing and say Jesus didn't exist and everything is wrong. If we love the Lord, if we are living for him, if we know him and if we believe the scriptures are true, then we believe what Jesus said about Daniel. And we can accept what Jesus or what Daniel wrote. And all 12 chapters of Daniel are truth from God. So that's talking about the historical part of Daniel in Scripture. The other part we would talk about a little bit tonight is that the book of Daniel is historical out of Scripture. And even though we don't necessarily need you know, corroboration from the world to, to believe what God says in His Word, still, if, if God's Word, uh, start to finish, didn't somehow connect with reality, then really we couldn't believe it. I mean, if, if the Bible says, you know, the sky is plaid and polka dots and, and mostly purple, and we look out and see the world as it really is, we're going to start questioning, well, who is this? Is this really a word from God? I mean, that's the, the beauty and the power of Scripture is that it really describes reality better than anything else. When we read about what the Scriptures say about man, about sin, about how we interact with each other, about the creation itself, everything that we see around us. The scriptures are what relate to reality. They, it tells us what's true in the world. And I, I just remember, you know, and it's, maybe it's cliche to sound, but when I got saved, the world just seemed brighter to me. 
When I, and I seriously, when I looked out that next day after I had been on my face and knew that God had worked in my life, the world changed. And I saw reality for what it really was. I was able to look out in the world and it's like, whoa, what was I missing? Why, why wasn't I seeing this before? So the scripture talks about reality and so you can. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to try and um, corroborate this a little bit, what am I going to do to uh, try and substantiate that uh, Daniel's historical outside of scripture, which by the way, doesn't correspond to some of the other cults and isms that are out of there. And when you look at some very fanciful histories that have no connection with reality, but those are stated to be true because a certain prophet said so. But you look and you, you find absolutely no record of any of those things anywhere. Then also you start to question. <clears throat> but so what I did, and of course being in the day of technology, I, uh, rather than go to the library, I, uh, I got on the internet I didn't use Wikipedia, so, so there's, you know, cha-ching, one, one score in my favor on that part at least. You know, I'm not going to say, well, Wikipedia said, but history.com, and I just brought these to kind of wave around here, but these, uh, these were, the, were the result of kind of the study that anybody could do, and so history.com has kind of an eight-page uh, summary of the history of Babylon, for one thing, talks about uh, well all the history of it. You got eight pages of just a quick summary, and I know that yeah, if you go to the library, and th and that's even just more yet, you'll find books and books and books about the history of Babylon, ancient history, and they're all going to talk about the reality of what uh, corresponds to what's written in Daniel, and even the timelines and everything else. These. So this is history.com. This is not scripture. But they talk about all the characters. They talk about Nebuchadnezzar II, um, the fall of Babylon, uh, Babylon and Jewish history, uh, Hanging Gardens, Babylon, which is mentioned in Daniel. So that those are historical facts outside of scripture that corroborate the book of Daniel. This other one here was uh, encyclopedia.com. And that, so... You know, it's a word, I guess, but I remember us uh, as kids looking at the encyclopedias to go, yeah, we did too, the world book. Mom bought them because she wanted us to be studying. She wanted us to be educated. So we had a set of encyclopedias at home too, a, a world book encyclopedia. But so encyclopedia.com gives a history of the Medes and then the Medes and Persians, also mentioning uh, Cyrus and Darius, or Darius, however you want to say that. So those are real accounts of history outside of Scripture. So I guess what I want us to do, what I want to accomplish through that, is when we go through the book of Daniel, and when we listen to what it says, that we'll have great confidence to know that Daniel was true. He was a prophet of God who was spoke for the living God, and everything that he said came from God. And so we can take it as authoritative, we can take it as true, and really be encouraged by it, for one thing. It, it should quiet our hearts when we look around at the world and see what's going on. If you think about, and we'll get into a little more of it as we go into Daniel itself, but as you think about Daniel being taken from his home, and you, if you think about your own life here, if you think about us, the fact that some foreign nation would come in 
destroy our government and start taking captives and take them off to, you know, and I'll have the map out there too as we look later on at what exactly happened, but it's a long ways from from Judah to Babylon, and they took a long journey into another land with nothing. I don't know if they, it doesn't say that, so sometimes they didn't even get to wear their clothes there, but I mean, you took zero with you, and you got you went to another country and lived under their authority and rule. So, if you think about that, that's what happened to these to these uh, captives and to Daniel and to his three friends. And so, that uh, it's historically accurate to say, but they were they didn't give up on God when they when they were taken captive, when they were taken into this foreign land. The book of Daniel is the account of how these men starting at at teenage boys and then the rest of their lives lived in Babylon in captivity, trusted God. They lived for God in this foreign country. They didn't give up on them and say, oh, you know, this stinks. You know, look at this. I I had a great place. We were close to God. You know, we were were his people and his land. Now look at where I am. This is just, this stinks. This isn't right. That's not how how they lived at all. And we'll be able to see the account of how Daniel trusted God, he obeyed God, and God blessed his life. And it, not only that, he used it to, for this book to show us the future of the world. So Daniel was used by God because of how he responded to this trial, terrible trial, uh, something we've not even come close to. But he responded correctly. So we look at Daniel as historically accurate, inside scripture, outside. And then uh, following along with the HIP uh, acronym, we'll go to the inerrancy of Daniel. And this will be short. This is a, as part of the canon of scripture, uh, Daniel is also inerrant in the original text. And I'm just going to go past this real quick. We'll look at this later maybe, and I may try and find some better ones, but it's kind of busy there, but uh, it does depict and show uh, by year, some of the events that talk that were uh, affected in the timeline of the book of Daniel. So history uh, was made, and and we see the events there in the life of Daniel and what what corresponded to that. They're they're pretty small, and we'll we'll kind of break it down maybe and look at it a little closer uh, than that. But anyway, that's just a timeline of the book of Daniel that shows a lot of the things that are historically true and accurate about what happened during that time frame of Daniel's life. But so we want to talk about the inerrancy of Daniel, the fact that it's, there are no errors in the book. And again, we, I mentioned that there's critics that want to uh, denigrate Daniel as a book, as a true book written by a true man named Daniel. And they'll say it was a forgery, it was fake, it was written later so that they could have uh, applied these prophecies that were just uh, super accurate about things that, were, that happened in the world. And they either had to be spoken from God himself and true, or they were so accurate that no, they, they wrote the book after it happened and then they just chronicled you know, what happened after the fact. So they said, well, this, 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 uh, looking back and they could date it that way. But it was not written after, it was written before it was a prophecy from God and it was inerrant with no errors. And so when you talk about it and, and realize that it was written before these things and the, and the accuracy of these prophecies, it also gives us great confidence to look at the future and what it talks about. And when, as we get 
through some of these prophetic uh, passages in Daniel, it is just amazing and exciting to see some of the things that God reveals through Daniel, the prophet, about the future of the Gentile rule of the world and then of the end when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to rule his kingdom in this world. And those are all brought out in Daniel. So that is exciting. It's a wonderful book, and we'll be looking at that. But it is inerrant, and it's part of the canon of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, of course we've heard this uh, a lot of times too, but it's great to review. All Scripture is breathed out by God and then profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's talking about all Scripture. It doesn't mean uh, anything outside of the canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but Scripture, God's true Scripture, and that book, the Bible, the anthology of all those books put together, is breathed out by God. And so that, that eliminates some of these other books that are accepted by other religions. The Apocrypha are not Scripture, so that's not applied to that. It's not breathed out by God, but all Scripture, which includes Daniel, is breathed out by God. It's inerrant. He makes no mistakes. And so from Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21, the Bible is inerrant. There are no mistakes there in the original manuscripts. And that includes the book of Daniel. And so lastly, we just want to look at the book of Daniel as prophecy. It's prophetic. And that's to me, is the amazing part of the book. I mean, it, it's all awesome. The history side of it tells how God works in men who, who obey him and trust him. But the prophetic side to me has just always excited me. I guess that's why he has allowed me to, to try and teach some of these things. I love it. And from the very beginning of my Christian life, uh, I don't know, God just put uh, an excitement and a love for these prophetic scriptures in my heart. I started uh, learning and, and studying the book of the Revelation the very first months of my new Christian life, and that was 38 plus years ago. And on and off all through those years, I've studied, listened to the prophetic teachings, and they are amazing, and they just get clearer as I get older and as I study Scripture more. They've never gotten less clear. They've always become more clear and true to me as I've, as I've studied them, put them together with other Scripture. I mean, and Daniel is probably the most prophetic book in the Old Testament, but there's lots of other prophecy in Old Testament in the prophets, even in Moses and other places. But Daniel probably would be what you'd say uh, Daniel is to the Old Testament what the Revelation is to the New Testament. And they really, they fit together. And in fact, you couldn't understand all of what's in, Re in the Revelation without some of the things that Daniel teaches in his prophetic uh, book here. They, they go together and they are uh, integrated and I love what uh, Chuck Missler always called it. He talked about the scriptures, the Bible, as being an integrated message system from outside of our time domain. And so it's, it's a cool explanation, and it's true. I, the way it's stated is right. It makes it seem a little, uh, uh, yeah, sci-fi, a good word. But, it, but it's, 
But really, it's true. It is from outside of our time domain. God is outside of time. He sent God's Word through all the writers of Scripture as a message system to us. And it's integrated. And that's the... And when we go back to just that LGBHC acronym and we talk about the biblical part of that, that is, is part of um, good interpretation because all of Scripture is integrated. It's all one. And that's the, another beauty and a miracle of understanding Scripture is that all Scripture is inspired by God and it all fits together. And if it's rightly interpreted... And if you make all the passages harmonize and you you study whatever part you study, if you look at the other parts and make it harmonize with the other, you come up with this amazing and wonderful, awesome picture of how God started, how he worked in the past, how he's working now, and what he will perform yet in the future. It's just uh, spine-tingling, if you want to say that. It's just amazing and uh yeah it does give you the god bumps as you look at what's going on in the world and it it also helps as you look around and you're tempted just to be in despair and discouraged because of what's going on in the world totally opposite of that you can see god at work in every detail knowing that not very far from now he's going to accomplish a thing that's just most amazing He's going to come back and he's going to take over. He's going to rule this world that belongs to him. And until then, we want to be faithful. We want to be courageous. We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry because we know God has told us the truth and he's told it to us partly in the book of Daniel. And so we want to see that. We want to hear what he has to say. I'm starting to learn, help with the help of Ben, to do a few charts here in the PowerPoint. So, here, <laughs> so here's one of my early efforts here. But as you looked at, look at uh, breakdown of prophecy in Scripture, on the left you would see that whole circle would be the Bible, all the books in it. And of that, and, and I've heard various, it's an estimate. I mean, some have actually counted the verses. I think there's 30,000, I don't know, 430 verses in Scripture, something like that. So somebody's taken the time to try and count out of those verses how many actually uh, are prophetic in nature, talk about the future at the time when they were written. And many of those are already fulfilled. And so, so the purple on the left shows all the Scriptures that are prophetic. And that's the 27%. And I've heard as far high as up to maybe 33% of the whole Bible being prophetic when it was written. But then when it breaks out the purple, it breaks it into two pieces there. So you have fulfilled prophecy. And, and this is, again, is even a, maybe a less accurate estimate because I haven't hunted that down real hard. But there is a breakdown here of fulfilled prophecy and unfulfilled. The part that is fulfilled, and we'll just say the 17% there, has been fulfilled literally and 100% accurately. And so that leaves the 10%, if, if that's close to an estimate. But anyway, the ones that are unfulfilled yet, we can expect those to be absolutely, literally fulfilled 100%. So it gives us great confidence in, in studying prophecy. And I think that that's the benefit of, of putting the effort into being willing to study and believe what the Bible says about eschatology, about the end times, about prophecy. 
it's a benefit that we don't want to waste. We don't want to give it away. Um, I know I've read lots of quotes of of um, pastors, teachers, professors who say, you know, if I understood it all, I might teach it, but I just choose to stay with what I know. The other part I'm just going to leave alone. But that and that's uh, sad because God's word is true every verse, every word. And he didn't put it in there for no reason. And he certainly didn't put 27% of his written word in there to ignore and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll go with the other part and the, the 27% I'll leave for, you know, another time. It, I'm telling you, it's you lose by doing that. So uh, areas of biblical prophecy are prolific. They include subjects like, and especially about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's lots of prophetic scripture about him alone. And, and we're going to look just a, for a minute at some of that, just as a, a bulwark to, to what goes on later. But there's prophecy about the Gentiles, Satan, the millennial kingdom, New Jerusalem, and the eternity future. So those things are all contained in the prophetic nature of scripture. We, we talk about them, and we, but we need to to check the box and understand that those are prophecy. When we talk about heaven and we talk about the new Jerusalem, the millennial kingdom, those are prophetic utterances in Scripture that are literally going to come to pass, and they should um, warm our hearts to look ahead to those things, to know that the Bible says this world is temporary, those things are eternal. And so we, our hearts and minds ought to be focused on some of those things and they will help us live in the times that we're in for him. So Daniel is crucial to filling in the blanks in the book of Revelation as we talked about. So we want to see that God is the author of prophecy. He says in Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, this is God, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. (laughs) God's all, you know, telling it like it is. It's like, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And that's, and especially when it comes to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to accomplish everything that he has planned. So we're going to look at just a few uh, prophecies of Jesus, just in, the, in terms of trying to understand Daniel's prophetic, other scriptures in the Bible that are prophetic, and the, the impact that those should have on us as we look at those. This busy chart here, and again, I don't know if you can read that from there. Not bad when it gets to be full screen size. But uh, anyway, those are on the left, you'll see 32 prophecies predicting aspects of the life and death of the Messiah, Jesus, fulfilled during the writing of the New Testament. So the blue column is the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, and then the yellow column is the fulfillment of that and the the scriptures that correspond and show that it happened. So that's an amazing, and, and remember, so we're talking about 32 prophecies of Jesus there. Some biblical scholars say that there's 332 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. 
So we looked at maybe one-tenth in that chart there, and it looked like a lot. One-tenth of the prophecies that talk about fulfilling uh, Jesus fulfilling in his life. The Dead Sea Scrolls also date back to 100 years before the birth of Jesus, proving that these predictions predated Jesus. And again, critics are always coming out to try and discredit what the Scriptures say. And then God brings something out to say, ha, no, sorry, uh, not discredited again. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls and the discovery of those put more weight again into the truth of Scripture. Uh, Professor Peter Stoner wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. and He outlined the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. And his quote, um, oh, I missed the quote there somewhere. Oh, I'm off on that. Let's see, what do we got here? So here's the quote. This is the quote of Peter Stoner. He says, Moses knew that fulfilled prophecy was an evidence. It was an evidence that God was truly at work in the heart of the prophet, giving him insight to something that only God knew about. The exact fulfillment of all the prophecies we've talked about from the Old Testament is more than enough to demonstrate the accuracy and divine inspiration of the Bible and the truth of Christianity. Remember, only God can declare the end from the beginning and forecast to the very day things that are not yet done. In Isaiah 46.10, he quotes in there, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. So I think I got those out of order. But anyway, the, we find that the chance of any man that might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies, and again, he's talking about just eight, is one in 10 to the 17th, which is one and 17 zeros after it. That's a huge number. I, can't, I don't know if I can even describe exactly what it is. To fulfill 48, and so this, this doesn't exactly match up with the chart, 32 is in between there somewhere, but it's closer to 48. But So it's, it's higher than 10 to the 17th and closer to this number, one in 10 to the 157th. So that really statistically, when, they, when you talk to uh, statisticians, scholars who look at these numbers, I should have tracked that down. I will do that. But anything over, and I'm sure it's at least that 10 to the 17th or higher, is just a statistical impossibility. It's impossible that anything, that any man would have lived and fulfilled just eight of the prophecies of Jesus, and, and it's estimated there was 332 messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So God's predictions are sure and true, literally. Uh, and I guess to just interject in before we finish here tonight, that if these are true about Christ, we need to be trusting in Him. And you know, streamers out there, whoever else might be listening, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to talk about, in the book of Daniel, we're going to talk about kingdoms and prophecies about the future, but no person is going to experience any of those kingdoms outside of a relationship, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, period. They, they sound amazing, they sound wonderful, and they will be, to those who are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, 
you will not be experiencing those good things. You will be cast into the lake of fire, separated from God forever. And so I would just make a plea to anyone listening who has not trusted in Christ to do so immediately. Not wait till tomorrow, not wait for an hour, but to turn now to Him. Those are the, those, that is what should be the reason, probably the main reason to study prophecy, to give us a heart to go to people around us to trust in Jesus Christ, to show and to tell to them that the Bible is the true Word of God. What it says is true. Everything else we hear in the news, from the media, even at school, is secondary to what God tells us is true in Scripture. And Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Nobody enters into the kingdom but through Him. Jesus said that. And He drew a line. He made a division in people. And He said that's why He came to divide those that would trust in Him and trust in the true and living God or those that wouldn't. So he didn't, there was no gray area in the middle where you could be. It's either no love and trust Jesus Christ or not. And so that, I don't want to get us off track in talking about prophecy and the wondrous parts of it and the amazing truths that are talking about the future apart from the idea that all Scripture, including prophecy, and the Revelation says uh, that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Jesus is at the center of everything, including prophecy. So as we look at it and we talk about it, Christ is what this is about. We know and love Him. We follow Him. And because He loves it and knows it, and He's the author of it, that's why we want to do the same, that we want to look at it, understand it. And so... Just, just to summarize those things, and, and what we, I was hoping for tonight is to get us a solid foundation on the fact that Daniel is going to be a great and a wonderful book to study. 100% true, end to end, all 12 chapters. There, it's going to be great to hear what God has to say through Daniel about the history of it, the inerrancy of it, and the prophetic nature of Daniel. 100% accurate. It'll give us hope, assurance, and confidence to live through uh, these truths revealed by God through the book of Daniel to live a life that's pleasing to God and to be used by Him for the things that He wants to do through us. It'll be an amazing and a wonderful thing for us too. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank You so much for um, putting putting us on the track uh, to look at this wonderful book. Thank You, God, that You are in control of all things. You are in control of the nations. You are in control of all the nations in the world today. We look around and think that they're out of control. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you already do. You already know uh, the very end. You know the very end thing. You know what the end thing is a thousand years from now. So these are all in your hand, Lord. And uh, we just want to play our part small part that you have for us uh, to walk with you, to be faithful, to be joyful in any trial because we know and we love you and you live inside of us. So we praise you tonight, Lord. We look forward to hearing what you have to say. And Daniel, just be with us as we do. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name.